I'm going to start with three phrases. You don't necessarily have to agree or not with them. I'm not even sure if I do, but they provide a little context for what follows. First one comes from Isaac Asimov, the scientist and kind of human philosopher, who was fascinated by American culture, both in its scientific prowess, but also that there's this distinct anti-science uh, part of our culture as well. And at some point, uh, he said of that, uh, it's as if uh, people are saying to each other, my ignorance is equal to your knowledge. What do you think? Next up, we're going to listen to Jesus. It's the week after Easter. It's that famous story of coming to the locked room. And the week, first week, doubting Thomas wasn't there. The second week, he shows up. And when he sees Jesus, Jesus offers to let him touch his wounds. But, but Thomas just says, my Lord and my God. He believes because he sees. Jesus actually kind of pushes back on him a little bit and says, uh, do you believe because you see, Thomas? Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. And I think that pushback wasn't just at Thomas. The reason it's in there, because it's kind of a pushback at all of us, because I think Jesus was tracking that we really trust our eyesight both our physical eyesight and I think our, our mind's perceptive eyesight, we're, we're very much as human beings, I think, confident in that if we see it, we can believe it. And Jesus is just saying, hey, there's a lot of stuff you don't see. There's a lot of stuff that's right in front of you and you don't grasp, but it may be very true and important. Seeing isn't all there is to believing. And then the last thing, uh, just something my wife Barb was reading, and it like fits uh, today's first lesson from Proverbs perfectly. It was just this little line that said, knowledge speaks, wisdom listens. What do you think of that as a saying? We'll come back to all of it. For right now, though, let's talk about today. We mentioned at the start of the service that this is Trinity weekend on the church calendar. Churches that follow the lectionary, that follow the, the church calendar uh, and some of its liturgies will celebrate this. A lot of non-denominational churches that are kind of, um, in a sense, uh, on their own program, literally uh, wouldn't follow uh, the church calendar and have this as Trinity weekend. So it's not something that all Christians do. I think it's something most Christians do. And, and Trinity, of course, is the understanding of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or the functions creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Now, now where, where does that belief come from? And I, I know a lot of you are astute enough to know that our creeds, which are statements of belief, uh, articulate an understanding of the Trinity. And there are three creeds that do that for us. Are you going to be the winner of the sweepstakes to know all three? So let's list them in, in length, starting with the shortest. So that's the apostles, right? And then there's the Nicene. So apostles is like a half page. The Nicene is like a page. What's the longest one? This one's hard. It's named after an early church leader named Athanasius. So it's the Athanasian Creed. That's like two pages long. All of them talk about the Trinity. They do that because they're all written within about 200 years of each other as Christianity was becoming the majority religion in the Roman Empire. And so what they're dealing with is this transition from polytheism and paganism within the Roman Empire 
to monotheism within Christianity. And so they're, they're trying to explain that, and that wasn't easy. That's why the creeds get longer <laughs> as you work your way through them. But what Christianity was also doing was, was transitioning from Judaism, which, which never said God is something. Uh, Judaism always said God is like, and so always used metaphors for God, uh, because the first commandment is very clear. You can't make an image of God, either a physical one, golden calf, uh, or a verbal one. God simply is, and, and anyone who tries to say God is something is, is making a graven image. So Christianity is wrestling with all of that stuff, and it, it deals with it by creating these three creeds known as the ecumenical creeds. Now, the thing is, um, uh, those creeds were spectacularly successful. Uh, they, they won the day. The empire converted to monotheism. And here we are 1,500 years later, and we still know them and talk about them. And the Western world, for the most part, is monotheist. And so they really worked well. The thing is, they've got some problems. <laughs> and I guess the two biggest problems is, the first is that they kind of solidified God from being metaphor into God is, Father, Son, Spirit. Um, not only is that problematic when you think about the first commandment, but it's, it's just problematic for, for all of the people out there for whom Father or Son is not a particularly positive image. And there are a lot of people like that, and so it makes understanding God difficult. Uh, and, and God is more than a father or a son or spirit. God is like those things. We shouldn't define God when God is beyond definition. The, the thing is, our own tradition can correct for that. We have all the metaphors of the Old Testament. We have all the stories of Jesus uh, where he talks metaphorically. And so we can self-correct on that. The second thing is the bigger problem with the creeds, and, and that is... Remember, why were they written? They were written about that whole monotheistic debate. Well, that one, at least in the Western world, was settled like a long, long time ago. The, the debate in our world is, is there even a God? And, and does the institutional church, if there is a God, does the institutional church actually get in the way of people uh, learning about and following that God? Or, or are we more of an obstacle uh, than, a, than a pathway? And, and so uh, throwing a creed in front of people who are skeptical to begin with and saying, you, you have to believe this, this is really important, that just convinces them further that the, that the church is out of touch and is, is dealing with stuff that was 1,500 years ago as opposed to today. That's an issue. Uh, it's one of the reasons, honestly, why we say the creed's less than we used to here in church. But you'll notice, we still say them occasionally, and you'll notice we're still celebrating or observing Trinity Sunday. So what gives with that? The answer to that is, despite all of the problems with the creed, they do represent something amazing that literally could not happen in today's world. And here's what it is. When those creeds were written, it required leaders in the early church, which was a single entity at that time, to travel from West Europe, from, from Central Asia, from North Africa, time after time after time to talk about these things, debate them, disagree with them, go back home, tell their people back home about it, come back together. It, it took years, it took lifetimes to create these creeds. But when they finally did it, they like agreed on it. And the power of that agreement is, is that 1,500 years later, John Eibler, growing up at St. John's Lutheran School in West Bend, Wisconsin, still was memorizing those three creeds 
they were understood to be that important. An agreement amongst the people of God on something has an extraordinary power uh, to teach and, and to guide. And to me, that's the part of the creeds that we hold on to. They're, they're reflection to us of the power of being one. We literally couldn't do that today. Think of how scattered the Christian church is and all the different expressions. You would think, for example, that we, we could all agree that Jesus is, a, is for peace. <laughs> he is the Prince of Peace. And yet, uh, the patriarch of the Russian Orthodox Church has, has publicly and strongly supported uh, Vladimir Putin's war in, in the Ukraine. Uh, we couldn't even all agree right now on peace. So does that mean we give in to despair? We can never agree. We can never change our world for the good. Uh, we shouldn't. Scripture was written realizing it's difficult out there. It does not give up hope, nor did early believers, nor should today's believers. So let me leave you with two little things, kind of based on today's first lesson from Proverbs. So Proverbs is awesome. It's like 3,000 years old, all of these wise sayings, including chapter 8, which is noteworthy in that it understood that there's this attribute of God called wisdom, which is this, this feminine attribute which appreciates the creation, but most of all, it rejoices in it, and especially in humanity. It, it rejoices and, and gives thanks uh, for all that is good in, in humanity. It's an amazing thing. It's good news. It's something that we should have at the forefront of our mind. This is who God is. This is the wisdom of God. So how do we apply that in our lives today? So two little, two little things to think about. The first is something that happened to me as soon as I came here, now over 25 years ago. If you've belonged here longer than I have, uh, it's just like yesterday, right? Just like yesterday. Anyhow, came here 25 years ago, and one of the first things I did was start putting introductions to the scripture lessons in, in the bulletin. And someone immediately complained about that a lot. And, and, and she, no longer here, uh, said to me, don't do that. Uh, you're interfering with us reading scripture for ourselves. That's not your job. Now, I didn't want to snarkily say to her, actually, the second thing in my job description is teaching the congregation about scripture, but didn't go there. Instead, I tried to listen, hear where she's coming from. What I did say back to her, not using these words, but this is what I was getting at, was I think it's two different things. It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. In other words, I think knowledge is my or any pastor's job. When we read scripture and worship, to give it some context, to explain the things that aren't obvious, these, these are good things. That's why the intros are there 25 years later. Wisdom, though, that's your job. That's all of our jobs. In other words, once you're given some context and understanding of these scriptures, it's still on each of us to understand how do you apply that to your life? How does it change you? How does it comfort you? How does it uh, convict you? Whatever it might be, uh, if we don't do that work, then we lose the chance to gain wisdom from something that has lived what life is truly like. And there's a lot of wisdom there, but it requires listening with knowledge. Any week, if you can reread the scripture lessons once or twice as the week goes on, having heard them in, in worship, it gives you a much better chance of applying them to your life and to our life together as the body of Christ. 
So that's one thing. The other thing is uh, rejoice and give thanks. This is, this is what wisdom does when it looks at humanity then, now, always. So what I'm thinking of and what you can picture as you kind of think about wisdom a little bit is, is where the children's message went. Um, and, and where that came from was I was, so we're, do, we're recording this on Thursday. I wrote this on Thursday morning at 8 a.m., sitting in our front room looking out at a boulevard that's in front of our house. All of a sudden in my peripheral vision, I start seeing all of these people walking around in these cars driving up when there's normally nothing happening. And as soon as I looked up, I knew what was happening. It is an annual ritual organized by our neighbor to our immediate south. And what she does is she sends out to the world, to the, to the whole neighborhood, and all the kids come to meet the bus uh, on this boulevard. And of course, their parents come as well. And there's the obligatory five minutes of everybody taking pictures of all of these kids. And then the parents bequeath to their kids a well-shaken can of silly spray, string. And they go running all around the boulevard trying to spray each other or get away from the person who's trying to spray them with the silly string. And it's just so like mindless and fun and joyous and simple. And it's a celebration of the end of the year, which, which parents are maybe dreading and the kids are anticipating and whatever it might be. Uh, but it's just praise and thanksgiving and celebration of all that's good. That's what I want you to think of this week when you think of everything else that's going on that is hard or good in your life, that the wisdom of God celebrates and rejoice in humanity, as should you, as should I. And in our very awareness of what there is to celebrate, it creates a wisdom to listen perhaps for the hard things, and then perhaps most of all to pray for the spirit to unite us, to have the power to do good in our world. Things like that we should never be done with. That's almost the right ending, hey?